0: Welcome to the of Top Bins Talk. I am your host, Marcin Kazmarski, and you can follow me at PLUventino on Twitter. And obviously, you can follow the Top Bins page at at bins underscore talk on twitter also uh, obviously also follow our instagram at top Bins Talk if you haven't already so we me and tim decided to do this new little segment called fan spotlight so each single time uh, me and tim are going to do a like a little interview a little kind of like hot take uh with one fan of each of our perspective clubs so tim obviously is a roma fan um so he did one with distant loopy uh last week if you want to check out that episode obviously you can so this week, I'm going to be doing one with obviously a Juve fan, since I'm a Juve fan. So this week, we have AJ with us here today. So uh, AJ, say what's up today, everybody.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, my name is AJ. I also go by Jose. Uh, you can follow me over at Twitter, at uh, Juve AJ. Uh, pretty simple. Um, yeah, I'm a big Juve fan, and um, glad to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. So, obviously, with these fan spotlights, we kind of want to introduce a UV fan or a Roma fan into kind of like the more uh, the Twitter universe and obviously the podcast scene with us here at Top Ends Talk. So, what, how we're going to do these kind of episodes is we're going to have a little conversation, chat about just about UV in general. We're going to talk about some uh, past experiences that we've had with the club, kind of like what got us interested in the club in the first place. Um, and then, obviously, we're going to talk about some more current events uh, going on with the club. So how we're going to start this conversation off is obviously you, uh, AJ, being (laughs) new to the podcast, first time on, um, we're going to ask you the main, most important question first, and that is what got you into Juventus in the first place?
1: So it's actually a funny story. Um, I'm not like a lot of people where, you know, their parents were fans and they got them into the club and all of that. Um, I'm actually from Colombia. So, you know, I grew up supporting my home team, Um, but obviously I grew to become a huge football fan. And I watched, you know, European nights and Champions League football and all of that. Um, And then one day I was actually watching a documentary about uh, my home team club. And, of course, I've always seen, you know, Juventus games, playing Champions League, Serie A, um, all of that. But I remember specifically that my team was kind of founded um, because of Juventus. And that kind of hit home and I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, the the roots of my hometown team are tied to juventus so that kind of you know brought me into the juve world i started uh you know following them more and more and eventually you know now i have a twitter page that's pretty much only talking about juve and football in general so uh yeah it's kind of a interesting and different story of how i how i became you know a, a big fan of the club
0: yeah so i mean i th- i feel you and me have a little bit of similarity in that sense that we weren't kind of like raised into the juve family like obviously you're from colombia i'm from poland so we're we're on two different ends of the world essentially um obviously with my story it's it's kind of along the same lines uh kind of a little bit similar but uh, in the early 2000s i actually ended up going on vacation italy with my parents and we actually ended up catching a torino juve game and that was my first kind of experience, not only in Italy, but um, obviously at the club. So I got to see the old Stadio dell'Alpi. And obviously being there for a derby match, it's it's a completely different atmosphere from a normal game. So you had banners, you had flares in the stands, like the, the stadium was rocking. Uh, I remember the game, it was it ended 3-3, uh, draw for... So not, not the best result for Juve, but that was, what, 11 years old at the time? And like it it just kind of like stuck home for me. I was I watched Pavel Nedved play and that was like the first player that kind of caught my eye. Obviously, the blonde hair, long flowing locks that kind of catches anybody's attention. Um and that's what kind of like got me into Juve. So Pavel Nedved's actually funny. We were are recording this on the anniversary of Pavel Nedved's last game for Juve. So yeah, for those <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, uh Pavel Nedved retired and played his last game on May 31st in 2009, Uh 2-0 uh, victory over Lazio. So today, as we're recording, this is May 31st, uh, 2020. So 11 years later after Pavel Nedved's last game. But yeah, that's what, that's what really brought me into the club. I just loved the passion that I saw at, at, in the stands. Like it, just, it just drew me in. And obviously, i played football since I was five, six years old. And I played at a, at a pretty competitive level. Um, and obviously, the older I got, the more into Juve I got. Um, and it's been really the only club that I've really supported. Um, in terms of like a fan supporter, it, to to the point that I actually have Juve tattoos now, which is funny, uh, just to show like my my true colors. Like I'll, I'll I'll never get rid of. Obviously, I can't get rid of those of <laughs> tattoos. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's UV is permanently in, embedded in my skin now at this point. <laughs> That's awesome. Man. Yeah. So obviously, with Juve um, having well, us being supporters for such a long time, there's there's obviously the come highs and lows with all those kind of things. So. Uh, I want to talk about obviously your let's let's start with favorite Juve memory since okay. you've been okay. a fan.
1: So obviously I've been um, I haven't been a fan my entire life. So um, I've pretty much only been uh, like a big diehard fan for um, the more recent years. So obviously we've won a lot of trophies and you know I wasn't I wasn't aware um at the time i wasn't a big fan whenever we went to city b and all that obviously i know the history but um but yeah it's hard to choose because there's been so many highs um as of late but i think uh one that comes to mind specifically was the i think it was the 2017 2018 scudetto that you know we had just lost to real madrid um, 3-1 in the Champions League final, or not final, sorry, in the Champions League. Um, was it quarterfinal or
0: semifinal? I think it was semifinal.
1: It was sem- yeah. Um, and then, you know, 11 days later, go um, being at home to Napoli and losing 1-0 with the Coulibaly header. And I thought, man, you know, we can't let this one slip as well. I thought I thought that was going to be, you know, the end. I thought we were going to lose that Scudetto. We're going to lose the the streak of... You know, however many it was at the time. I think it was uh, six or seven. Um, but then coming back, winning three out of the four last games, obviously Napoli losing, dropping points. I think that Scudetto is
0: is special for me. Yeah, so obviously happily celebrating that Scudetto a little early mm-hmm. after after that match. As the they, they usually in. do. Yeah, that's, that's very true. We do like to throw a little bit of shade here because this is a all-Juve episode, so Tim's not here to kind of like... Uh, hamper my style with the shade throwing, so we can call merda merda. We can we can say Napoli celebrate a little bit early, uh, but yeah. So that that's obviously a, a huge moment. Um, I I did watch Juve in Serie B. I remember getting up at six a.m. or sometimes even three a.m. four a.m. to watch Juve games because they had nine a.m. kickoffs back in those days. So it's a six-hour time difference for me to watch a match. So you had you had a it was a nine a.m. kickoff. You had a three a.m. wake-up call to watch a game. Um so yeah I I remember watching those games and obviously in Serie B it wasn't it wasn't the best time but I think my favorite moment over the last my last let's say call it 19 years of supporting the club is is definitely that first scudetto that we won after we came back from Serie B. Uh obviously with that with kind of Del Piero lifting that trophy, that, that kind of, like, image will always be kind of engraved in my head of, of Ale, kind of just lifting up that first Scudetto and then me kind of realizing, like, like hey, we're we're back, we're we're top dogs in Serie A. Uh, obviously, that season was just amazing, just a lot of, like, uh, what we like to call grinta players, just mm-hmm. guys that were going to kind of, like, do the dirty work for the team. So, you had players under Antonio Conte, like Giaccarini, that wouldn't really get really starting minutes for most like top end clubs, but like you had him busting his ass week in and week out and kind of performing at a top level. Um, and that kind of like, that kind of like embodiment of the club just kind of showed like, Hey, like we're here, we're going to fight for this Scudetto. Like Fino alla Fina was hundred percent the motto of that season. Um, and that's kind of like, that's been kind of like my most favorite memory of the, of my time. Obviously we could talk about all the Scudetto we've won in a row, all the other trophies, all the crazy goals we've seen scored over the last few years. Um, but yeah that that moment will definitely stick out for me for a very long time um coming back from serie B. um so let's let's change the, let's change the picture a little bit so we talked about best moments mm-hmm. so now we could talk about let's talk about worst moments
1: yeah so i guess it kind of defaults to champions league right it's been a long long time uh, what 14 years since we've lifted la orejona the big year trophy um now there's two recent ones, which is the Barca one, and then the Real Madrid one. Um, I think for me the, the the Real Madrid one was more of a sting, in terms of the Barca one. I think Barca had a stacked team. Um, I think they, you know, they came into the game. It's hard to defend Neymar, Messi, and Suarez. They were having a ridiculous season. But the Real Madrid one, that Real Madrid final. You know, we came in having only conceded, I think, three goals during the whole Champions League campaign. Uh, we eliminated Barcelona with that beautiful Diwala goal. Um, you know, we came in confident. I felt very confident that we were going to, you know, this was finally going to be the one. This was going to end the drought. And the first half was great. I mean, you know, obviously they got they got a goal and then we got that Manzukic bicycle kick over uh, Keylor. Beautiful goal, 1-1 at halftime, and then the second half was just a complete disaster, man. I just... ah, That's probably, like, the worst memory that I have of uh, being a UVA supporter right now just because of that, you know. I felt so confident that we were finally going to end the drought, and then just the way that we lost the second half, I felt, you know, we were completely out of it. Um, Also, Real Madrid got some lucky shots, but... Uh, I don't know. I just can't get my mind away from that one. And then obviously, so, you know, the next season uh, going 3-0 three, down against them and then coming back 3-0 up. And then that penalty at the end, that's also a stinger for sure.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously with obviously with Chiellini releasing his book now, mm-hmm. him making some comments and kind of like releasing to the media so, some kind of a little clarification of what happened in – kind of in that final and in that dressing room, do you, obviously we didn't talk about this before, but I'm going to throw this question out here just to give a little curveball. Do you think that he's telling the truth in terms of what Killini said, that they were just exhausted and it was just Real Madrid being a, a better club in the second half? Or do you think there was some kind of truth to that rumor of there was potentially some kind of rift with between some players or some uh, some players and some coaches and, and that halftime?
1: And for me, I think it's a combination of both. Obviously, you know, they played They played well in the first half. and But, you know, it's been an entire season preparing for this final game. You know, we, we've gone through these 90-minute matches how many times during the year? 40-plus uh, games, you know. And, yeah, Real Madrid is a great team. I'm not going to say they're not. And, I mean, props to them. They went through the entire campaign, and they went to the end, and they were the better team at the end of the day. But... I just feel like we fell off at such, you know, at such a point that it couldn't have just been, you know, players being tired. You know, if players are tired, if you know Manzukic is on the floor and he can't walk, then sub him out. You know, put somebody else in that can run. But I think there was just some other kind of mental aspect that just switched off. Uh, especially, you know, defensively, we had conceded three goals the entire campaign. You know, why concede four? Like, yeah, he had, they have, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, but he scored, what, one goal? The last goal, I think? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I think every everything that comes out in the media, you have to take with a pinch of salt. Um, but Chiellini has been pretty, pretty open in his book and um, pretty truthful. But I think there was something else
0: going on there. Yeah, uh, obviously we'll we'll never know and I guess it's something that's just going to be speculation until <laughs> until mm-hmm. we kind of move on from this kind of like situation. Uh, in terms of my worst Juve memory, I think I'd have to 100% agree with with your statement on this one that it's exactly kind of like how you phrased it before that Barca one it was kind of like Barca were like the the heavy favorites in that Champions League you had prime Suarez, prime Neymar, prime Messi and it was like the the like those guys were in the prime of their careers or at least uh, in my opinion they were at that point that team was just top to bottom was head and shoulders. Like you had star quality at every single position. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's exactly to your point that Real Madrid one, you kind of thought like, Hey, we, we've been on a really good roll here. Like exactly to your point, like three goals conceded the entire campaign going into a final. We like Scudetto wrapped up, like we had all the focus on the champions league and then just to kind of have that second half, um, is yeah, it just it was an unreal moment. I I I was sitting at a sports bar, just watching that, and that like would look at my like my hands and like my on my face, just like being like, what is happening to this club, right? Like, what have I watched over the last like forty-five minutes? And it, it was it was just devastating. Like, um so like that's exactly to your point. I'm I'm never gonna forget that final, and I I hope the draft ends. Obviously, we have a return leg against Lyon coming up, that's uh, whenever that happens. Obviously, so maybe this year is the year we can kind of turn it around and and make another push for that, for that big year trophy that we want.
1: Maybe this, um, this whole COVID thing was what we needed to kind of push away that,
0: that curse, in a
1: sense. Yeah, t-
0: temporarily. Yep. <laughs> temporarily. So, obviously, best and worst moments are, are going to be something that we're going to talk about like at all times when it comes to fandom. But I want to kind of switch the conversation and talk about three players that kind of stick out to you that over the last, let's say, decade or 10 years or 11 years or so that have really kind of, like, been um, loved by you for one reason or another? It doesn't have to be, like, performance reasons. It doesn't have to be the best players. Just three players over the last, like, 10 years or so that you've been like, I really like this guy at the club for whatever reason.
1: Cool. So, um, you know, obviously there's the Del Piero's, there's the Marquisio's. But one player, I'll start with my... Not not in any order, but one player that I really like and I think he's the best in his position all time um, is Buffon. I mean, that dude is a complete, you know, he's another animal. Uh, he's on the likes, you know, he's, with, he's in there with uh, Yashin, he's in there with Casillas, and for me, he's the best of all time. Now, that may be a little biased because I am a Juve fan, um, but I remember watching him in the... Uh, the World Cup final versus France. And that dude was insane. And just, you know, watching him over the years, how he, you know, the age that he's at and he's still performing. Um, I was a little sad to see him go to PSG, but I completely, you know, I completely understand. Um, I'm glad he's back at the club and hopefully we can lift uh, that final trophy that I think he needs to to seal his legacy uh, beyond reasonable doubt. Um, As the best of all time, Um, the second player that I really, really, really like, and mostly because um, I played in his same position when I was playing in high school, and that's Killini. This dude is, you know, he's a gorilla. He's a beast. He's the captain. He has complete control over the team at all times. He's, you know, we we saw this year without him in the in the middle of the park. You know, we struggled. We struggled. With that leadership, um, we conceded a lot of goals. And having him back in the team those last couple of games was crazy, was immense. Um, and then the last player I'll choose, just to keep to my roots, and I know a lot of people um, don't really like him. You know, he's he's provided. Like some, coming? Yep, he's provided <laughs> some um, some beautiful moments, like the goal versus Bayern Munich. Um in the UCL. Um, and that's obviously Juan Cuadrado. Um, you know, obviously I'm Colombian, so it's a bit biased, but um I love following Colombian players and watching, you know, how they grow. And it was disappointing for, for him when he went to the Premier League and you know he was struggling. Um, but then you know Yuba came back, gave him another chance. Um and he's just you know, he he's one of those players where I feel like he's more of a more of a squad player. Where you can have him in different positions, as we've seen this year, and you know, obviously he yeah, he makes his mistakes, but um, yeah, he's one that's that's dear to my heart, obviously, um, for my because of my Colombian roots.
0: Cool. Yeah. So obviously, I'll, I'll give I'll give my take and my three players. So I'm gonna go a little bit different. Uh, I, I'm gonna go one kind of similar to your route, and then two completely off the book. So the first one to start is kind of a little bit obvious, and he's and he's recently been at the club, and that's Wojciech Szczesny. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, obviously kind of along with, along the same lines with your your Colombian roots. My Polish roots are a little bit biased here. So this is obviously the first time um, that we've had a more higher profile Polish player play at Juventus. So obviously I'm I was really excited when when Wojciech first kind of like came to the club and and was associated with the team. With rumors help him joining, uh, there was a lot of backlash and hate. When he first joined the club and people were really skeptical, of like, is this is this the guy that's played at Arsenal and played at Roma? Um, Is this the guy to replace Gigi? And obviously he sat one year on the bench. And I think since he's become a starter, he's done nothing. No wrong in my my book as as much as I can watch any game. I can't really fault him for performing too many mistakes or having too many issues being the starting goalkeeper. And I think he's, uh, obviously, it's the same thing, like you said before, a little bit biased here, because not only am I UEFA, but I'm Polish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think he's the most underrated goalkeeper in in, in the sport. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for the amazing job he does, even playing with Delict and killini and Bonucci in front of him. I think he still does an amazing job as as the goalkeeper. I think one save that I'll always remember is that one against Griezmann when Griezmann mm-hmm. tried to chip him, and he just barely fingertips it over the over the, and gets it onto the bar. It was just a, an amazing save that I'll always remember. Um, my second player, I'm going to kind of go same kind of like a little bit more rooted to Juve's. I am going to go with Marquisio. So Marquisio, obviously, for the homegrown reason, he was born and bred into the team um played his entire career at the club in terms of the primavera the youth team setup, and then obviously into the first team uh he's obviously the first player that i've kind of like watched growing Mm -hmm. up uh like with juve that was it like from day one was was juventino so obviously like i said from the academy all the way to the first team and then him him spending his entire career and captaining the side like in, in certain matches was just like very motivational for like those youngsters um, and it's something really cool. Like if you watch the Juve documentary on Netflix, he does a little like cut scene where he like goes back to the youth academy and he shows his little photo and and he like wrote down like, hey, if I can do it, like you guys can do it too. So it's just a cool little like like tidbit and like a little insight into Marquisio, which was just like, I uh, made, made me love him as obviously as a player. Uh, and then my third one, and, and it's just, some, this is just somebody that I loved watching play at Juve and it's Carlitos Tevez. I absolutely loved watching Tevez play at Uva. Like the guy was just kind of like to your point before, just a bulldog. Like he was just 100% energy, like 100% for the club. You just saw him just gunning through defenders, trying to dribble past players. Like the goals he scored were obviously amazing. Like the team that he was a part of was obviously, I think in my opinion, one of the best Uvas of the last 10 years or so. Uh, but yeah, Tevez will always be one guy that I wish either came earlier to the club so we had more time with him, or I feel like maybe he left a little bit too early. Uh, but it's definitely somebody that I've kind of um, just enjoyed watching at Juve. And he was definitely one of my more favorite players over the last 10 years, even though he only spent a little, what, two seasons at the club. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one good thing that came from him leaving was Betancourt arriving. So, uh, yeah, a little plus. So it kind of made out and made, made itself work in the end. Yeah. So, obviously, you're talking about Betancourt and talking about other clubs, so... Is there any kind of other club? Like, obviously, you mentioned your, your Colombian heritage and, and all that kind of stuff. So is is there any cl- other club that you're kind of, like, partial to and or not really, like, a fan of but you follow or you're still kind of interested in? Yeah,
1: well, like I, like I said, I was born in Colombia, um, and I'm a diehard fan of my of my home team down there. I actually have one of their shirts on my wall. Um, it's Junior de Barranquilla. Uh, one of the most iconic players that played there was... Uh, Carlos El Pido Valderrama, and uh, that kind of ties back to, like I said in the beginning, you know, most people follow what their parents followed, what their grandparents followed, and, you know, my brother, he's older than me, but he's a diehard junior fan. My grandfather was a diehard junior, junior fan, um, you know, and growing up in, in Colombia, I would go to the games, and I saw them lift a couple of trophies, and they're very dear to my heart, um, so, yeah, that's that's the that's the one team that that um, that I follow most. Uh, but obviously around Europe, I follow, um, you know, the major teams, Bayern, uh, Borussia, uh, you know, pretty. I watch the Prem every morning whenever it was on, at least. Um, and yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Well, in terms of like the clubs that I'm kind of partial to is like, obviously, I was born in Poland, but I don't really have any ties um, to, like, the, my local team. My local team is called Shlonsk-Vrottsvav. That's the area that I was born in. Um, but I, I went to a couple matches, but it just, it just wasn't, like, the the football just wasn't for me. So I'm more geared, obviously, towards watching the national team. I've been to multiple, like, Euros and a couple World Cups. So I've got to see. I'm, I'm more invested in, obviously, the, the national team of the country. Um, but I, I, I kind of, like, to your point, I do follow, like, if, if there's any league that I like to, quote, unquote, follow, it's definitely the Bundesliga there's cause just cause there's so many Polish players that play there. And that's kind of like what draws me into watching uh, kind of to your point, Borussia, that was the, the first other team that I kind of started watching a little bit um, back in the day, just cause you had that little Polish tr- uh, trident of uh Piszczek, Lewandowski and uh, Kuba Błaszczykowski. that little trio of, of Polacks that played at, at BBB. And that's what obviously brought me into watching the Bundesliga in the first place, just cause I would love watching obviously my, my fellow countrymen play. And that's kind of like pushed kind of into today. I love watching BVB play. I, I know there's a game going on right now that we're not watching. <laughs> just one, just one six one. <laughs> nice. All right. So there you go. Uh, yeah. So Pištěk is is the captain currently of the team. So I'm, I still catch uh, BVB games occasionally. Obviously Lewandowski plays for Bayern now, so I watched Levy score a brace yesterday. So I still watch uh, the the Bundesliga a little bit with um, a little bit of watch and focus on the Polish player. There's a ton of other. Um, Polos that play in, in in the Bundesliga, so I I love watching them play. Uh, Piontek obviously left Milan to go go play in the mm-hmm. Bundesliga, also another high-profile name. Um, but yeah, I don't watch really the Prem or like La, La Liga. I, I do catch the occasional PSG game just because I like watching Neymar and Mbappe. Like how can you not like those two guys playing in attack? They're just, yeah. they're just so fun to watch. Um, so yeah, those are really like the only only two things that I'll kind of go out of i and watching the Italian league for. Um, so yeah, obviously we've talked about a lot about like partial clubs and kind of like best and worst moments. So I want to kind of just like gear the conversation for a little bit towards today and kind of like what's going on at Juve currently. So, and and obviously the major question is kind of like on my mind, and I feel like it's still a hot topic, hot talk talking point since, since he got hired is Maurizio Sarri. So Sarri obviously has come under scrutiny for a, a ton of different reasons over his time at the club, which has been about a year now. And at at the end of the day, the the main question is, is he still the right fit or the right character or however you want to phrase it? And is he the right guy to kind of push Juve to this Champions League that we've kind of been chasing for the last God knows how many years? So, I mean, what what was your take on Maurizio Sarri? So Sarri,
1: the topic of Sarri is an interesting one just because, you know, the whole dynamic and Before Juve was known as more of a defensive team, you know, the the three in the back um, of Bonucci, Barzagli, and Chiellini uh, usually would just counterattack. And then we wanted to, I think due to major backlash from the fans, just because of the way we were playing, um, which just wasn't, you know, interesting anymore, I guess. Um, You know, switching over to Sarri, which is a completely different playing style to that of Allegri. is it you know is it gonna is it is playing beautiful football gonna help you lift the champions league trophy maybe you know the the game is obviously changing we see these teams like psg like manchester city like liverpool like borussia like Bayer, who you know they have more of, more of a dynamic flow to the game it's not just you know counter, counter over the top balls or you know it's more of a possession style game I think in these days but then there's also that other argument of you know, these Mourinho teams that went on to win the Champions League that played that defensive style of, you know, of game but I think for where the game is right now Sarri is a potential you know, game changer that obviously he had success at Napoli not in terms of you know, lifting a trophy, but in terms of you know the the team was playing well, they were close to a trophy. Obviously, we won it that year, but um, sure. you know at Chelsea, he won the the Europa League, um, and they were doing really well at the beginning of the season. But I think you know what 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 where, what went wrong at Chelsea? Zola, I think, came out saying that the players just kind kind of bored of you know doing the same thing in training you know, running the same drills every day, et cetera, which I think is essential for the type of, you know, the, the style of football that Sarri wants his team to play. You know, you need that consistency. You need that, you know, that um, that muscle memory of, you know, I'm going to pass it here, pass, 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 um, and not have to think about every single play. You know, it just kind of flows dynamically. Now, I do think that Sarri can lead us to a champions league i just think that fans you know they're they're crashing on him so much because the team you know it, during some games it seems like we're playing that consistent you know passing flow type sarri ball type football but then during other games it just looks like a complete mess but i think that you know the sarri ball will come with time and that's one thing that i think people nowadays they don't have the patience to wait for results but we have to remember guardiola his first season at manchester city was a disaster you know they didn't win a league they didn't they didn't compete for pretty much any trophy and then now look at them you know they 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 won two premier leagues in a row last season obviously he's missing that champions league for them but i just think we need to give sari a little bit of time um Now people say, okay, he's been at it for a year. You know, how much more time does he need? It's not as simple as just saying, yeah, you know, let's make the team play this way. It's consistency. And especially now, you know, with the whole coronavirus thing, a lot of the work just went into, you know, into the trash can because the the players were without touching the ball for two months. Um, But I think now coming back, you know, they had a, a little bit of a break um, and hopefully Sarri can, you know, instill the form of play that he wants into them.
0: I mean, like, kind of to your point, Sarri is definitely a, a controversial figure at the club at this current time. So I feel like it's either like you love him, like kind of like to your point, you're like, hey, give him more time. Like that's the kind of coach he is or like you're just like totally against him kind of remaining at the club. I, I read this really cool article a little bit while ago and, and, it, and it kind of pinpointed like a little progressive plan that Juve were kind of taking in terms of like getting old, like the, the wrinkles out of like the offensive and the pretty football with Sadi, and then hiring a more high profile name, a.k.a. Guardiola to kind of come in and take over that. And so so that he doesn't have to deal with those first year issues. But he, here's my only thing. Like, yes, to your point, like, yes, give give a coach time. Obviously, that's that's the most important thing. But at the same time, you're a top profile manager, you're at a major club, a a team that's expected to win three trophies every single year, the pressures on him, and he's gonna get less time with those roles at Napoli. He didn't really have that pressure and that kind of expectation of being like, hey, day one, we have to compete for every single trophy. Mm -hmm. So that's where he kind of like he could take his time and build that club up into becoming that kind of like entity that he really wanted. But at Juve, you run into the issue like Juve every single year are expected to compete. Well, not compete, but win the Serie A and get a Champions League and obviously win the Coppa Italia. So that's, I think, where he's running into those issues that some fans are are still underneath of this kind of like cloud of like, hey, unless we win every single trophy every year, it's, it's a failure of a season. So mm-hmm. that's why I think where he's running into those issues of, of people calling for his head already. I know I was very vocal about him <laughs> back in like November and, and December when the team just wasn't, kind of clicking and I was one of those people I said like hey you've had six months the football hasn't looked any better six months than it did on day one and that was really my main issue I didn't see the progress so kind of to your point like over time I understand like hey like I I was I'm still one of those people like hey you have to give Saturday time but at the same time you need to see some progress from day or month one from preseason last year to the current games that we had pre-current like right at like right before we had our break you still saw as pretty much the, essentially the same team from six months ago. And that right. was my major issue. So it looked like either the team wasn't kind of like clicking with his tactics or he wasn't getting a message or something across to the players to kind of get them to kind of like fall in line with what he's trying to do. And that that's kind of like my main issue, which kind of shows that a coach doesn't really have either a control of his team or that the players aren't really like buying and respecting 100% what he's saying. So that's kind of like my little hot take on on Saudi. I don't like. I'm not gonna sit here and say like, yes, get rid of him and hire a higher profile manager because that's also not the right call. But you, like I said, you have to do something to either get progress and have this team kind of push and become a little bit better than they were when we were watching them uh, play in December and, and during the holiday season. Um, yeah, obviously, we could talk.
1: Go ahead. I think like the the if they would have done well versus. Lyon and they wouldn't have lost and you know that we would have saw we would have seen that same type of play that we saw versus Inter, for example. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that that would have actually shown a little bit of progress, but I just feel like we're so inconsistent in the fact that in the Coppa Italia we played really well versus Roma, and then we go out in the Champions League and play terribly versus Lyon, and yep. then we go play Inter in an empty stadium and play beautiful football. It's like you know, why, why can't we just keep that consistency of play? Yeah. And I think that's, that's what we need to push towards.
0: Yeah, that, that consistency is 100% true. I remember watching a game, uh, I think it was the very first game versus Napoli uh, mm. when, we, when we won at the stadium. I think it was 3-1, it was the scoreline. line. And that was kind of like a perfect example of what you're talking about. We played the first half, it was 45 minutes of pass and go, movement football. It was just It was great to watch. It was exactly what we thought we were getting. And then the second half, it looked like a, a shell of the former team in the first half. It was like a tale of two halves, essentially. Like, you had this team that was just doing tiki-taka, like, pass-and-go movements in the first half, like, scoring goals against Napoli. And in the second half, they come out, and it's, like, they, they don't know what they're doing with the ball anymore. They're turning it over. The passes aren't connecting. It, it, it just looked like a shell of, of the team. And, like, like kind of like I just mentioned, it's that, that's the big issue. You want consistency. You want progress. And I feel like that's that those same issues that plagued us even during that game – like, I'll see Juve play great football for 15, 20 minutes, and then the other 15, 20 minutes of the same half, they're, it, it looks like not the same team as the first 20 minutes. Like, that's that's my biggest issue that I'm having so far, watching games week in and week out.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
0: The good thing is that, like,
1: I see people, you know, asking for Sarri to be fired already, but we're still in the Champions League. We're still in the Serie A. You know, we're leading Serie A. We're still in the Coppa Italia. If we, if we beat Milan, we're in the final, so... You know, if we don't win any trophy, then I'd say, okay, you know, maybe it's time to look elsewhere. But considering, you know, we're still in all three competitions that we want to be in. I don't think it's time yet to call for his head.
0: So do you think if let's let's say hypothetically Juve don't win. Let's say we get knocked out of the Champions League, whether it's now or Lyon or uh, whether it's Lyon now or another round. And then we don't win the Scudetto. So let's say Lazio, for example, wins it. But we win the Coppa Italia. Is is his season saved? Do you keep him just because he won one trophy? Or because he lost the two major ones, the Serie A and, and the Champions League, do you fire him?
1: Pre-COVID, I would have said maybe the Coppa Italia isn't enough. But if we fire him, you know who are we going to bring in? If we want to keep pushing towards the progressive football that the club supposedly wants... Cause yeah, we can bring back Allegri, we can bring Pochettino, but Pochettino also is not that you know that rock and roll football, that Sarri style football, that Guardiola style football. So if we don't win anything, then yeah, I think he 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 should go. But if we win at least one trophy, I think it's enough to give him at least you know a few good pieces to put into place and then let him give the team another go.
0: So if we won just the Coppa Italia, you're giving him the the next window and you're going to entrust him for one more season. Right
1: now, yes. Because, I mean, okay, so we have Allegri, who's still under contract. And then we have Sarri, who's under contract. So, uh, you know, even putting the finances into it, how do you justify having three coaches
0: on salary? Right. Well, Allegri's contract ends after this season. So he would come off the books, and he and oh. he was making a, a high wage because he was the highest paid coach in Syria before he, he before he was let go. Sari, based on what I'm seeing, isn't a high like as that level paid right. coach in Serie A. He's kind of like mid level, so he's mm-hmm. making less than the Antonio Conte's and and those kind of co- coaches. So his contract isn't as as of a, of a large of a burden as as Allegri's is right now.
1: Right, um, but if so, so say we bring in Guardiola, he's making what like 15 million. At yep. City. Or if we bring in Poch, he's not going to ask for, you know, 5 million. He's going to be asking for at least
0: 10, 12 million. Yep. So that's kind of where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, so it's it's a curious situation that we're, that we're in right now. So obviously talking about improving the team. So let's talk about a couple spots that we can kind of see in terms of, like, the club. In terms of, like, just positions or some names that we think that would be a potential improvement over what we currently have. So let's say... Uh, forward uh, midfielder and right back is obviously the I think yeah. most people would agree are the three positions that we have to really focus on in terms of improving um, so is there like what do, What are your thoughts in terms of like a th- are those the three positions that we need to reinforce and B. any names that you've kind of seen us linked with or any anybody that you would just like at the club to, to come in to replace uh, like the current crop that we have at this team
1: yeah I think those three positions are exactly what we need you know we need a striker we need a midfielder to help take control of that midfield because obviously uh, of the what like eight or nine midfielders that we have Betancur has been the best all all season mm-hmm. and then right back yeah Cuarero hasn't been you know he's he's played good games he's been i think one of the best this season but he's not a natural right back and i don't and he's you know he's not young either he's like 31 32 years old so we definitely need a young gun over at right back that can stay at the club for a couple of years. Um, midfield, we've been linked to so many players that, you know, obviously I would love Pogba, but that's a bit of a reach at the current moment, considering his wages, considering how much Manchester United want. I would love to see somebody like Awar come to the club from Lyon. I think he's a baller. He's so good. You know, he's young, he has so much potential. The club yeah. has good, good uh, relationship with Lyon, so m- they can definitely sort out a deal. Um, Tonali, obviously, has also been linked, who's a great young prospect, and Italian prospect. But then comes, you know, Inter is almost done with the deal, supposedly, according to the media. And then I think Stryker is, is a tough one because... We need to replace Iwain, even though he's had some good games. But, you know, he's just not at the level that Juventus need. And on the wing, at least, we have um, Kulusevsky coming in. Mm -hmm. Who can play either on the wing or in a central role. Um, You know, like a a number 10. But then we don't have a a killer up front. Because Ronaldo, even though supposedly he was going to come in to play that striker, that number 9 position... Uh, pretty much all season, we've seen him, you know, drift to the left the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, with Iwayin possibly leaving, and you know, not him not being up to standard, who do we bring in? Then comes the the question of do we play, do we pay Warner's release clause of fifty million and bring him in, or does he even want to come to Italian football because it's very different from you know the Bundesliga? Do we bring in Milik, who has his injuries, you know, his injury history. Icardi just got sold to PSG, and they, they added that $15 million, um, pay clause if they sell to an Anti-Jube Italian. anti clause. Exactly, anti-Juve clause. So I think that striker position is, is one that I don't think fans are going to be very happy with the ultimate decision that we make. But... I think the club is planning on bringing in the that youngster Brazilian. Um, uh, Jorge Cao. Yeah. That supposedly he's, you know, the next big star. And who knows if he ends up, you know, Rodrigo was doing great for Real Madrid this year. Vinicius was doing good this year. If he can end up like one of those, then I think he's a great, you know, future prospect. But we need somebody for the now, right? So if we bring in a Milik, I think fans are going to be unhappy. If we bring in... Um, the the wolves, number oh, nine. He You know, people are already yelling because he's older. But I think ultimately, whoever we bring in is going to be a short-term solution um, that we will resolve in a future in a future transfer window. In,
0: until we bring in Holland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just pay his release clause. It's like what, seventy million, fifty million? Uh, well, it kicks in I think next year for the first okay. time. So he he, I think or in two years, I think in 2022, it's one of it's either 21 or 22. The the clause kicks in. But yeah, like I think he has to stay at at the club for at least a year or two before the clause kicks in. Uh, Obviously, other names that we've been linked with there have been players like Gabi Jesus Uh, for the striker role. Obviously, he's been and him and Werner have been kind of like the two guys that I've been kind of pushing for. Uh, in terms of like who I would like to see at the club, just because I love, I like, I think Juve need a, a change in, in terms of how the front is kind of set up. In terms of moving away from these kind of like poacher number nines, just because I feel like that's not the style of football that's played in today's modern game. I think the modern games rely relied a lot on pace, on agility, on on skill. And no offense to to Milik, to Icardi, to to, to Higuain, to these kind of like number nines. They do a great job of holding the ball up, but they're not agile. They're not quick. Um, and I think that those are the things that like players like Werner or like players like Gabi Jesus can bring in. They're very skillful on the ball and they can really attack and kind of like do those one, two quick movements that we really need from, from our forwards. Um, so that's kind of like where I've been looking at. Obviously today in, in, in your midfield is kind of spot on. I've been a big fan of Alvar for, for a very long time. He's 22 has that potential to be a, a star in, in terms of like uh long term at the club for multiple years. He, he's had multiple campaigns in the champions league. So he's, at a high level, uh, definitely one that I've I've looked at. Pogba, Tonali, we can we can talk about those names forever. Uh, right back is interesting as we talked about this today because we had a new name kind of linked with us today, and that's uh, Hector Bellerin from Arsenal. So that's that's another new name added to the list of right backs that we've been linked with. So obviously we'll see if there's uh, if there's anything else that goes on there. Um, obviously, what same thing that people are going to say with him. Same with Milik, is his injury history? Is 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 he back fully fit? So obviously the, there's a lot going on at the club right now in terms of transfers. So I guess th- this window is going to be, whenever it happens, obviously, because we don't know if the window is going to be at the same time as it is before, um, is, is definitely going to be an interesting time. I, I, and I think kind of to your point exactly, I think the club is going to make um, more short-term or smaller quality, like smaller player moves in terms of like not picking up those big stars. Just because, obviously, the financials and, and everything going on with, uh, like, the club losing money and, like, matches not being played at home. So, obviously, you lose a ton of sponsorship deals there. Um, so, obviously, we'll see what the club do. But it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, window, an interesting time to be a Juve fan for the next foreseeable mm-hmm. future. Especially to
1: see who leaves the club. Because if, you know, these big deals are made, there's no doubt they they have to include, you know, player swaps on top of maybe some cash. But... You know, is Kedira gonna leave? Is Matuidi gonna leave? Is Pjanic ultimately gonna leave? Because he's linked to Barca. Um,
0: what do you think about that Barca move, by the way? Um, so it depends on who we're getting back. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Artur. So I mean, I, I know there's been some talk of like him being like, oh, I don't want to stay, like I don't want to leave the club. I feel like that's just more him being like, oh, I want to stay at Barcelona and prove myself here. Like I don't think he has any, any like gripe against Juve or anything like that. I think if he came to the club, I think he would show his true colors and really excel. So, I, I, like, that that's that's just my take. Um, but, yeah, if we got Artur, that'd be really the only player that I see us swapping with with Barca for. I don't like the Dembele idea just because he's just way too injury-prone, and he's, he's barely played over the last two years. He's, he's a great talent, but he can't stay on the pitch. And we basically have the same thing, just the Brazilian version, Douglas Costa. Yep. So, I mean, that that's my take on him. I, I, I saw, like, reports of Ansu Fati... Um, kind of same thing. A key, key, we need somebody proven if we're getting rid of somebody that's as high quality as Pjanic, who's, who still has a lot of market value. I think it's like 55 mil is his market value. Like we need to getting somebody that's going to be an instant starter, and an instant player in the first team. Uh, I don't think Ansu is going to be starting at, at 17 with his injury history at Juve like day one. I don't think it's happening. Um, I saw well, obviously there was what Semedo and Rakitic and Vidal were some other names mentioned. I don't, I'm not really a fan of any of them. Uh, Semedo I could see happening, but it would have to be like some kind of like Semedo, Artur, plus Pjanic, plus some cash kind of deal for, for me to yeah. make that sense. Uh, I think he's a decent right back. I think he'd be helpful. Uh, but yeah, I think those are really the only two names I could really, I, I would be okay with Pjanic going to Barca for. I think Artur, 23, like a box-to-box center mid from Brazil. I think he's got the skill. He's got the talent. He's got... The agility that we need in the midfield, and then obviously Semedo at right back is is pretty decent. So I think he'd be an improvement over Cuadrado, even though I know you like him a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, yeah, I agree.
1: We definitely need um, somebody of quality in that position. Maybe we can yeah.
0: have Cuadrado as a super sub up top. Yeah, he can go back to his original right wing position. Yeah. So we'll 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 see. Like I said, it's going to be an interesting window. Where it's it's an interesting time to be a U of A fan. Um, so I'm looking forward to the return of football in a couple weeks. So we're going to see how you may perform once we get back to playing games. Awesome. Well, um, uh, that's, that's about going to wrap it up for me in terms of the questions I've had. Uh, obviously this is the first fan spotlight. So there are going to be multiple ones coming out after this. So if you want to kind of join, jump on the podcast, do this kind of sort of thing that AJ kind of did for me for about 30, 40 minutes, (laughs) even though we went over, we said we were going to do half an hour We're we're at 46 minutes. So we definitely went over um yeah just get in contact me like i said you could follow aj at you can what you're at uh at uva aj on twitter yeah so you could follow aj and get his hot takes and have a conversation with him if you want to chat about colombian football because i'm sure he'll love he'd love a chat about that okay. uh and then if you obviously if you want to get uh, at me it's at pluventino. Um, and same thing if you want to get in touch with me for future podcast episodes or if you have any ideas or topics that you want to talk about shoot me a message and obviously we can kind of get that kind of squared up and I'll get you scheduled for another episode in the future. Uh, But that's going to be it for us. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Fan Spotlight here on Top Toppins Talk and I'll see you guys later. Peace.